This episode is sponsored by How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. This is the most important course I have ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes to your children and drinking. How to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness. And what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink. And so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Bo. Hi, Bo. How are you? Hey, doing well, Annie. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. So um, why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your relationship? Where did it all start for you? So before I dive in, I wanted to mention um, yesterday is actually my five-year anniversary of oh. quitting drinking, which is amazing. You know, something that, um, you know, just over five years ago, I might have thought was impossible. Um, so kind of celebrating that. And so this timing is awesome to be on here. And, um, I've, (laughs) I've told so many people about this book, you know, because it was, it just really spoke to me at the right time and has all the information I really needed. So, um, you know, it's pretty wild to look back on the last five years and, you know, realize that, you know, I haven't drank that whole time and it hasn't even been hard, you know, and that's something that I didn't think was possible. Um, So thank you for writing this book. Just want to say that since I've got you here. Um, (laughs) It's meant a lot to me and obviously everybody else is listening. So if if I'm to jump into the beginning of my relationship with alcohol, I have to mention my dad. Um, It's a little unavoidable. You know, my first impression of alcohol was when I was a kid and I didn't even know what it was, but I knew it was destroying my parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember the first time my mom sat my sister and I down with my dad and, you know, very calmly said that they were getting a divorce. And, you know, I didn't understand why. And my mom said it's because of the booze. And I didn't even know what booze was, you know, so I'm like that. It must be bad, whatever it is. And uh, they didn't divorce right away. It was pretty messy. It was hard as a kid. You know, I was like seven, eight, nine, ten years old. You know, it 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 really messed up our childhood, my sister and I. And um, you know, and that caused issues that bled into my years as a teenager and as a young adult. You know, and really, I I can see how the cycle repeats from generation to generation because it causes a lot of problems. And you use it as a solution and it, it just continues to cycle. So, you know, definitely starts with my dad, you know, cheating and fighting and all that stuff you hear as a kid. And then I, I just knew as a kid, I said, I don't want to be an alcoholic. I knew my dad was an alcoholic and, you know, that was my biggest fear is I never want to be that. Um, and so I at least had it in my mind that, you know, if things ever got bad enough and I felt like I was getting to that point you know, it was time to do something about it. But when I first drank, I was probably going from eighth into ninth grade. 
and it was just having fun a buddy and i <laughs> drinking four smirnoff ice and getting wasted you know and you know i thought it was fun you know and i i think that's when people started going to parties and things like that and i was not i don't think anyone at that age is super confident in groups of people at parties and things like that even raised by your parents you've lived in a house you know, breaking out into big social settings like that is nerve wracking. And so I definitely leaned on it as a crutch early on, because the first time I ever drank, and I've heard other people say this on your podcast, I felt like it made me like a bigger, more bold version of myself. All of a sudden I drank and I felt like I could talk to girls and I could like be this cool guy. I don't know, whatever it was, it reduced my inhibitions. And it was kind of like the nutty professor, if you've ever seen that movie, it's like the Eddie Murphy character. You know, he's this outgoing person you've always wanted to be, but he's also kind of an asshole. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but oh, sure, yeah, no one, no one really likes him, but you think he's the coolest guy. But, you know, I, so I leaned on that all the way through high school. I always wanted to, you know, my friendships, I think were based on drinking. Um, I wanted to hang out with the kids who drank on the weekends. That's, all I knew, I thought, if you want to have fun on the weekends, then you drank. And it didn't matter what you were doing. You know, it's like everything that says in the book, there was an association between alcohol and every version of having fun. You know, if you want to um, go to a party, you got to drink. If you want to go to, you know, if you want to meet a girl, you got to drink. If you do go to a sporting event, anything, you have to drink. And that was 100% my mindset. Um, even early on, I think it was a problem. Uh, because I, I remember even when I was early in high school, a friend of mine saying, I heard it through the grapevine that she said, you know, I don't remember the last time I saw Bo sober. Mm. And at that point, I think I was only like 16, you know, and, and I heard that and that actually cut pretty deeply because of the history with my dad. And that was the first time I stopped drinking for a little while. Um, and I don't know how long I went, it was so long ago, but I stopped for a while, but it, it eventually started again. And, you know, every time I drank, I got drunk, you know, and, um, the blackout started early on and it kind of continued into college, you know, and I, I think I stopped at one point after, you know, toward the end of high school, but, but yeah, same thing in high school. I was with kind of like some troublemaking friends. I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I wasn't um, accomplishing the things I thought I could accomplish. I wasn't, you know, life was, life sucked. I think life sucked all the way from my childhood through high school and into college, you know, and I don't think I realized at the time how big of an issue I had. I thought it was really normal, but looking back on it, having not drank in five years, I realized, you know, I was kind of suffering from an addiction, yeah. you know, but the, the world normalizes it so much that I didn't even look at it as an addiction. You know, it was something I just did on the weekends. Everyone was getting wasted. It was in movies. It was all over the place. It was the culture. And so because everyone else was doing it, I thought it was normal, but really I was suffering from an addiction that was really ruining my life in a lot of ways. And then into college, you know, it was very up and down, a lot of depression. And then I would get so depressed that I would, uh, I would do pretty well in the spring, 
you know, because I would bomb so bad in the fall when everybody was partying and stuff like that. And then I would get so depressed over winter break, I would kill it in the spring. And then, you know, kind of same thing, summer and then fall. And eventually I, uh, oh, we've got something in common, by the way. Um, you went to Colorado State. Yeah. Yep. I was also a Ram, but I graduated from New Mexico, but I was at CSU in 07, 08. Oh, very cool. So lots of fuzzy memories at Wash Bar and Lucky Joe's. Yeah. Yes, 100%. But, uh, you know, and then toward the end of high, toward the end of college, I actually got a DWI unfortunately and it's it was it was so fluky the way it happened you know I had like already parked my vehicle and I walked back to it because it was parked in the wrong zone and then I drove it to the right zone like 150 feet and someone was staking out the party and I got pulled over and that was a big wake-up call you know it still didn't end up stopping there but I did stop for a while maybe seven months Um, I had to go to some AA meetings and things like that um, but in that seven months, it was amazing because I took on the largest class load I had ever taken on. I had the hardest classes I had ever taken and I crushed it. Um, I accomplished more in those seven months than I had ever accomplished in my life. And, um, that was really kind of a theme for me that I started to recognize, um, because I, after graduation, you know, I started working started drinking again, ruined a relationship. Life just wasn't fun. And then I stopped again when I was 27 and I, I tried quitting through AA. And I did not love AA. I'm not a religious person. And, you know, most of it is about God, which is fine. And I understand you can like make, you know, the higher power, whatever you want it to be. You can be the universe, whatever. But it just didn't, didn't click, I guess. But in, in the like eight months I was sober in AA, I, you know, my job was great. I bought a house. I like did so many things. It was just like the end of college. I, I was just crushing life because I just had this extra time, money, and energy, you know, that it was like life moves slower, slower and you can be more prepared. And I just killed it. And then, um, you know, started drinking again after that. And I didn't stop again until I was 30. And that's when I read your book. Um, and I can continue on if you have any questions about yeah. anything I've said, please. So when I was 29, I got into my current um, work, which is, um, I'm in commercial real estate, basically, and it's self-employment, there's no salary. And so there was, a, my stress levels were very high. Um, and couple that with all the happy hours that people go to and all the networking stuff. And it was just kind of in your face all the time. So there was a lot of financial stress, a lot of happy hours, a lot of drinking. And I found myself kind of coming home and drinking after work, you know, cause I would say, oh, you know, and drinking to relax, just like it says in the book. That was, that was, you know, my reasons were to relax, to have friends, all, you know, just like everything you read in the book. And so I would get home and I would have a drink and then one would turn into two, turn into three, you know, turn into four. Next thing you know, I'm drunk on a weeknight. 
kind of like that quote you said where it's or it wasn't your quote but you said it was a first you take a drink then the drink takes a drink then the drink takes you and it was like you know i would have one and then my body tells me i need another i'm thirsty even though it's dehydrating me but uh that was when i think i finally started getting to the point where i was mimicking my dad because what got my dad my uncle told me one time that my dad would get so drunk that he would have to drink in the mornings in order to feel better and he told me that when i was in my early 20s and for most of my 20s i never did that i never really took the hair of the dog you know i would just suffer through my hangovers and that was me telling myself that i was okay because i would suffer through my hangovers i would get sober again before I would ever start drinking again. It would usually be like Thursday through Sunday type thing. But then all of a sudden as an adult, I started drinking on the weeknights. And then I started not feeling well in the morning. And I had a roommate at the time also who I had to, he, he worked out of town for like part of the week and I had to get into his room one time and um, grab something for him and I looked in his closet and I saw that he had booze hidden in his closet and it wasn't because he was hiding it, it was, he was hiding it from me it was like the good stuff because I was like drinking during the week and all of a sudden I saw booze in my friend's closet and I was like and I knew it was just he was just keeping it from me not because he you know really cared that much but he you know I was just kind of plowing through it yeah and you know, and then it would be the morning of like a Tuesday or Wednesday, I was basically still drunk. And I would, all of a sudden I would have a drink, you know, and next thing you know, I'm like buzzed at work, you know, and this didn't last very long. This was kind of like the very end. Um, and I had crazy anxiety. It, it, I would drink on the weekends. And even if I didn't drink Monday, Tuesday, whatever, it would be Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was having panic attacks mm -hmm. and I didn't know why. Um, I couldn't be in conference rooms. I was having panic attacks in the car. It was uncontrollable anxiety. Um, and I didn't know it was the alcohol because it's gone now, you know, and, but it definitely was. And that made everything worse because I was drinking also to relieve the anxiety, which was creating the anxiety in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had some friends in town and we really like, you know, went out pretty hard for a few days. And then my little stepsister got married in Mississippi in like a fun town, Biloxi. And, you know, I was kind of tying one on there. And then after that, our family went to New Orleans and in New Orleans, obviously, you know, three days in a row was just hammered. Um, and not to mention this, at this point, I was pretty depressed too. I mean, my life was not going great. And um, that night, I was, uh, I was so sick. I was, I was having heart palpitations, sweating. I, I probably should have gone to a hospital. Um, but I think, you know, with my family in the hotel and no one really knowing how bad things were getting, I didn't. I just kind of like made it through the night sweating, you know, and I didn't sleep at all. I was afraid to sleep. I thought my heart would stop. And uh, 
then that morning my parents drove me to the airport and they also went to the airport and I was basically like laying down in the back seat and thankfully we had different terminals because they were going back to uh, Virginia and I was going back to New Mexico and uh, I got in the terminal made it through security and I immediately started googling books to stop drinking with behavioral research. Those were basically like keywords I was using because I knew the AA thing didn't work. I knew I didn't believe in just handing my problems over to some deity. You know, I, I needed something that was actually gonna convince me. Like I actually needed to be convinced. And unlike my dad, you know, this, this information wasn't available to him. My dad struggled with sobriety, um, but he didn't have that information available to him at the time i don't think maybe alan carr's book might have been out at some point during his lifetime but um it uh you know i don't think he had as much as good of a chance um but thankfully i i came across several books in the airport um i read the backs of them and one of them was this naked mind and this was november 14th 2017 uh five years ago yesterday and uh, I thought this sounds great. Sounds like exactly what I need. And I put my headphones in, I got it on Audible and I started listening. I listened from, while I was waiting for the plane, I listened all the way through boarding. I listened during the flight. Um, I still like have a photographic memory of me being on the flight and hearing the, um, the analogy of the pitcher plant, you know, and just so many things just made so much sense. Um, it was such a well-rounded book. Uh, it, it hit on, you know, the health issues. You know, I was having issues with heart palpitations and things like that. I was worried about, you know, my longevity as a person, you know, and, and that really hurt a lot hearing about the, the effects it has on your brain and your heart, how it kills more people than all other drugs combined you know, all those things. Um, and halfway through the flight, probably halfway through the book, I couldn't wait to have the alcohol out of my system. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't wait. I was like, for the first time in my life, I was like excited to just like sweat it out, have it be gone. I knew it was going to take like a day or two or whatever. And I was just really excited, genuinely just excited to have it out of my body. Um, and so I could just tell that things felt different because um, like when people hear that I haven't drank for so long, they always go, Oh, well, you must have a lot of willpower. Oh, that's so good of you. And I'm like, it hasn't been hard at all. You know, it's been so easy. It's been the easiest thing I've ever done. I, it's actually like not doing anything, you know, because it doesn't, I don't have to try at it. You know, once you believe that you don't actually want it and it's not some great thing that you can't have, and, you know, disinterest is a lot stronger than willpower. Yeah. Um, so I got back. I told my girlfriend at the time, I'm thinking about stopping drinking. And she was like, well, good, do it. You know, and so she was supportive. So I, anyone that's listening that has a spouse or friends, family that aren't supportive, I feel for you. I really, really do. Um, I was really lucky because my girlfriend at the time was fine with it. She, she told me, she said, honestly, I never drank that much until I met you. 
I was like, uh oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I told my friend, we were having Friendsgiving and my whole group of friends drinks pretty much. Um, and I, I told him, I said, hey man, I don't think I'm gonna drink at Friendsgiving. Will you do me a favor and just not say anything? You know, I just wanted to fly under the radar. I didn't want anyone to know. I wasn't like making big announcements. I just wanted to do it. And so like people, a couple people noticed, but I, would, I had like the same cup, but I was just putting water in it. And my buddy kind of noticed, but everyone was kind of quiet about it. And my attitude was, I just wanted to stop drinking. I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want to make it a display. I didn't want to, um, you know, I don't generally, generally really talk about it much, but um, I made it through Friendsgiving, no problem. And my mom doesn't drink, she's an AA. Um, so she's been really cool. And from then on, you know, life's just been a lot easier. That was, that was when I stopped, I haven't drank since. And, you know, it, it hasn't been challenging at all, you know? And so I, I tell as many people about this book as will ask me, you know, I, I wait until someone asks me, someone will say like, how'd you stop drinking? And I'll let them know, you know, and I'll tell them, you know, it's not gospel. It's just really good information. And one thing that you've said in your podcast before, and tell me what it, what you said, but it was um, the point when someone's ready to listen. Hmm. Yeah, I think that people like if we try to if, no, basically nobody wants advice that they don't ask for. So if yeah. we are trying to, you know, impose it upon somebody. So and I learned that the hard way just by trying to give lots of different <laughs> advice that wasn't really welcome until I started learning to wait till people ask and then yeah, then they're ready to listen. Yeah. Yeah. You hate to preach too much. I've, I've definitely been guilty of that, but I've had several people reach out and ask me. It actually happens fairly often because a lot of people are pretty sober curious. And one really cool thing that came out of this, um, among a million other cool things, but uh, my best friend, Alex, who I used to party with all the time about, you know, a few months, a few months in, maybe a couple months in, we would talk all the time on the phone and because um, we lived in different cities at the time. And he said, you know, are, are you not drinking? You know, and it had probably been a couple of months, you know, and I said, no, I quit. He goes, what? You know, I said, yeah, I just, you know, it just felt like it was getting worse. I was under a lot of pressure. I needed a way to you know, like dig myself out of this hole. And I, I read this book and I stopped. And he's he goes, huh, interesting. And so like over the next few conversations he and I had, you know, he would ask more and more questions about it. And he was really similar to me. You know, obviously we used to party together and we just became really great friends. We both lost our dads when we were fairly young. I was 20, he was 18. Um, mm -hmm. We kind of bonded. I, we didn't bond over that, but I think there was just a similarity in like a lack of a male figure in our lives that we had each other kind of. Um, and six months later, he told me that he had stopped drinking. I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I just, you know, I want to, train for American Ninja Warrior. I want to get back into golf. I really want to like fix my career and all this stuff. I'm like, great. And then, and he's like, what's that book again? And I, I sent it to him and he listened to it. 
Um, and now he's been sober for four and a half years. Oh, and he, yeah, and he and I talk every day pretty much. Um, and we've just got this, this really close friendship. It's like two brothers. And it's just really, really a blessing to have someone um, so close who both of us will talk about how big of a scam alcohol is all the time, you know, and, and dating. We're both single and we date. And we have all these issues with like every time we have to tell a girl that we don't drink. And it's just like, what did you tell her this time? <laughs> you know? uh, and so that, that was a huge blessing. Um, and, you know, work's been great. I went from always thinking I was going to get fired to getting promoted twice. And then eventually figuring out a way to move back to the East Coast near my mom and stepdad life moves a lot slower and it's a lot easier to navigate when you're sober. And, um, you know, I like to say sometimes that life's like a video game, kind of, you can make it whatever you want, you know, and, uh, it's a lot easier to do when you're sober because you just have so much extra time. Um, and so, yeah, life's good. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Um, and it's kind of my thing, you know, I really love being sober and um, I don't think it's, I don't know. It's just a big difference from like when I was trying an AA and I felt like, you know, I'm not normal. Alcohol is great. I suck. I have a defect. Something's wrong with me, you know, to now it's like, no, I don't even want it, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. I, um, it's the second time I've heard that idea of like things moving slower and it's, it kind of makes me think of like, the matrix or something where Neo gets to the superpowers of being able to see everything coming at him and um, and then he can react differently. And I don't know if this is making any sense, but basically like the idea that really tough stuff will happen or something will go and I will find myself just like watching like, oh, okay, interesting. Instead of just jumping into a major meltdown or reaction. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like my lows are so much higher than they used to be. Like the amount of movement on my emotion scale is so much tighter than it used to be. You know, I, you don't really react as much because you either see them coming or you just, you're just calmer. The rest of your life is in shambles. So you have time to deal with this one thing. I actually, I have a question for you. So what is some advice you would give to someone who is single and dating because most of the time I'm dating people who drink, you know, I, I, I look at it on a scale of one to 10. Like if they're a one to five drinker, I can date them. If they're six to 10, I can't like our lives are just too different. Um, I find that, you know, women who wear wine is a big part of their identity. <laughs> it's just not going to work because they don't feel like they can connect on the same level you know, they just want to share that bottle of wine, you know, but it's not like that for everybody. There's so many people out there that are just moderate, whatever, you know, if they're a one to five on the drinking scale, like it's fine. But what, what would be some advice that you would give to somebody who's out there and dating? Oh, man, I think that probably like the people who <clears throat> don't make a big deal out of it are the people who it's not really a problem for. Mm -hmm. I think that when somebody is making like a 
feeling really self-conscious or uncomfortable about their own drinking, I think that's like, oh man, this might be a problem. I don't know necessarily though. I mean, I think it's great to just be out there and be yourself and date though and be the example. Obviously you wouldn't want to like get in a long-term relationship with an idea that they were going to change and they don't. But I think so many more people want to change their relationship with alcohol or want to stop drinking altogether than, um, than do. So I think that when we go and just kind of show up as ourselves and make the alcohol part a little bit of a non-issue and see where things go. Um, but I agree with your assessment of <clears throat> if it's totally out of control with somebody's life, I think that it's really, you're kind of starting out with an uphill battle that maybe you don't want to engage in. Yeah. And and when you don't drink at all, it's so easy to see, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes when you see someone who's having a really tough time with it and they don't realize they're having a tough time with it. And you don't want to preach. You don't want to give someone advice if they don't want it, you know? And so it, but yeah, it's, it's hard to see sometimes, you know, how prevalent it is in, in our culture. And when I was in it, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal because it felt like everyone else was doing it. And so it just felt so normal. But now that I'm not, it's just really easy to see how it's hurting a lot of people. Um, yeah. But dating wise, it hasn't been bad. You know, I think the vast majority of people that I've met have been really cool. You know, I'm on two of the apps and I like make sure and I put no on the drinking thing. Most people don't notice that. So what I find is most of the time I'll make it to the first date and I already know they're going to be like, wait, are you not drinking? I'm like, damn it. Here we go again. <laughs> and so it never ends up being a big deal, though. I usually end up saying, oh, yeah, you know, I took a break when I was 30 and I just didn't start again. You know, and they go, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, and most people, they're, they really, they really think that's great. They're like, oh, good for you. You must be really strong. You know, yeah. uh, that must take a lot of willpower, you know, and I don't want to dig into it, especially not on a first date, but like second, third date, they start asking more. They're like, okay, so why did you really stop drinking? And that's when I'll say, you know, it was an issue for my dad. In my opinion, it was also an issue for me. And um, I think it was getting in the way of a lot of things that I wanted to do in life. Um, and so when I decided to stop, you know, it just made life a lot easier. Um, and it's just been great. I love it. You know, and I'm, it really has not been an issue. Um, but it, it is funny because I almost basically always have to explain it and I, I know that anyone listening has has to deal with the same thing if they've been single while they're sober I think one of the great things about this book and about just you know changing your subconscious beliefs in general is that I've been able to still go to restaurants bars sporting events family gatherings whatever I want um, and it had you know I had it in my mind that if I'm going to quit drinking it's not going to be a punishment you know, this is going to be a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, and so that's made everything a lot easier. I can't even imagine. I've had girls say like, oh, well, can I drink around you? Is that okay? And I, yeah, of course, please do. You know, just be yourself. Do whatever you want to do. But yeah, it, it's very nice just being, because bars are still cool places and restaurants are still cool. Like one of the things you said in the book is 
a lot of things you did for fun when you were drinking are still fun without the drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, the when sometimes I've been asked before, like, why are you at a bar? You know, and I don't like go to bars by myself to just hang out at bars. But like if I'm with friends, I'd be like, why are you here? I'd be like, you know, I still get to hang out with my friends. This is a cool place. I don't want to just sit at home, you know. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, why aren't you drinking at home? <laughs> right. You know, but I wouldn't actually say that to somebody. Um, but no, um, it's been great. Yeah, life's good, and um, I don't know. Life's just a lot more manageable. I think the the great thing about it is that <clears throat> it does force, even though it feels more, <clears throat> excuse me, awkward. Perhaps at first, I think it really does force like more connecting conversations early on you know what I mean it's almost like there's a a bit of a filter so that you can you know have those conversations sooner and then I don't know like not waste your time I guess yeah um really interesting point on that my ex-girlfriend who I was with when I got sober who was an awesome person she told me she said um, you think you were more social when you were drinking. She said, but you, when you're sober, you're way more social. She said, you're way more present. You know, you're just more engaged. You're more talkative. Like, and I was like, really? She said, yeah. She said, when you were sober, you were so quiet. Or when you were drinking, you were so quiet. And I, you know, I, it's, it's just unbelievable. And, and I think I've been learning a lot of social skills that I could have learned earlier in life. Um, but it's much better this way because drinking, like it lowered my inhibitions a little bit, but it didn't really make me more social. Um, and then when I stopped drinking, then you're really aware of, you know, your presence in a room, whether or not you want to be there. Some situations like you just don't want to be there. So don't be there. You have to leave, you know, some things are fun. I learned little tricks, like find one person in the room that, you know, and go find that person and hang out with them until you talk to somebody else in the same little group. And then you can branch out from there. But like, if you're, you know, going to a social gathering and you're feeling nervous and you know, one person or you can get to know one person, just find that one person first and then just branch off from there. I ended up taking on a um, public speaking role after I got sober because, you know, my anxiety was through the roof when I was drinking. Um, and I signed up for a volunteer um, position in the commercial association where I was living and ended up having to host these meetings with 80 people once a month and like doing the presentation and everything just to like get over my fear of public speaking. And I did it. Yeah, for a whole year. And, you know, just little stuff like that. It You learn all these great skills and, and my anxiety I still have nerves, you know, but my anxiety is gone. Nerves, I would say, are the anxious feeling you get when you should be nervous, you know, like before you go public speaking, should you be sweating out of your palms? Absolutely. Like that's normal, you know. Um, You're not, you're probably not going to do a very good job. Yeah, exactly. Um, And now instead of freaking out, thinking I'm going to have a heart attack and die in front of everyone, now it's like, wow, look at my palms. They're really sweating, you know? And it's like, wow, look at my heart. It's like really beating. I must be really nervous right now. And I'm not worried about dying because it's not palpitating, (laughs) 
you know, and I just, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, much more manageable than it used to be, but I still get nervous when I should get nervous. That's really good. I like that distinction between what is normal because so much of what we're trying to like run away from our escape is actually very normal. And then when we just let ourselves feel it, we're like, wow, that actually wasn't very bad. And I feel so proud of myself for having like not, um, you know, done that and done that well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's so many things I took from the book, but one of the things is, you know, I think people will ask me what it's like to not drink. And one of the things that I'll say pretty often is that, and I think some of this was from your book where I just tell them it's like having just an extra allocation of time, money, and energy. You know, you've got more time, you keep more of your money and you have so much more energy. I just don't have off days anymore, you know? And that's why it's like compounding interest. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, maybe I just feel 10% better every day, but 10% better every day of every week of every month of every year is a huge difference. And I've just been able to eclipse anything I've ever done before in my life in the last five years, because, you know, I'm just so much more prepared and it's not like I'm necessarily working a lot harder, but I just have so much time to do stuff and so much more clarity. And I don't have all these other fires I'm putting out in my life, not hung over on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Alex and I, my buddy, we, uh, we talk about, it's kind of like a cheat code, you know, like sobriety is kind of like a cheat code. You kind of have a one up on the rest of the world because everybody else is out there, you know, getting drunk and spending all their money and, you know, hung over and they get the Sunday scaries and all this stuff. And we just don't deal with that anymore. You know, it's kind of like having a superpower. I love that so much. I feel the same way. So true. And it's great that it's not like the awesomeness of it has not worn off for you for five years. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, you're constantly surrounded by it. So you can always see the difference. You know, it's like the negative against the rest of the world. You know, it's like you see everybody else. Okay. I've got a couple stories before we wrap up. So I went to Italy with a group of friends. It was like 10 of us um, and they were all drinking the whole time. I was the only non-drinker and it was fine. I did great. Everybody else like spent so much more money. I, I did pay like my fair share of the bill even if they were drinking wine just cause I didn't want to be that guy that had to be like, oh, can you cut the alcohol out? You know, so I like paid my share there, but I had friends that missed really cool stuff that because they were too hungover. We took boats out on Lake Como and like took it past George Clooney's house and like had these amazing experiences. And one of my friends was so hungover, he couldn't even pick his head up. And one of my friends missed an entire thing. And one of my friends like fell asleep outside a restaurant. <laughs> such a mess but like you know I remember everything and I had so much fun because you know one thing I'll say is when you're not drinking life is exactly as fun as it actually is it's not more fun it's not less fun it's exactly as good as it actually is you know and so that that trip to Italy was amazing I loved being around my friends 
I loved seeing those beautiful places. Um, and then I also went one big one I was kind of worried about, not going to be, uh, not going to lie, was I went to a bachelor party in Vegas recently with, it was 14 guys in an Airbnb with a pool and, you know, all the typical Vegas stuff. And I was like, I know I'm confident, but like, this is the worst possible situation for a sober person. Um, in the entire house, 14 people are the only non-drinker. And fortunately I like found a room in the way back of the house so I could be by myself. Everyone else had to split one. And I just happened to like get the way, way back one. And I got it by myself. Um, and, but I participated in everything else that everyone else did. And I had a great time, you know, I had fun on the strip. I loved hanging out with my friends. It was all these, uh, guys from like middle school and high school. And I was like drinking it in. I had so much fun. And, uh, you know, and then I had to watch them like just get so wasted and hurt so bad. One of my buddies was getting an IV one morning because <laughs> he was so hungover. And my buddies were like, oh, I bet you feel good. I was like, oh, I do feel good. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been through it all. And you can always, I'm always excited about it because you always see everyone else getting drunk and, you know, destroying their health and spending all their money and dealing with hangovers and you just don't have to deal with it. So you're constantly reminded how great it is. I think. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so great. That's amazing. Well, anything else you want to share before I ask you the final question? No, it's just been such a great thing. You know, I, I don't, at the time, the day before I stopped, I didn't know how. I was going to stop. I had no idea, you know, and one thing that you say a lot, which is really great is, you know, people are doing the best they can with the tools they had at the time. And, you know, that was me. You don't know what you don't know. And so this information, whether it's this or alcohol lied to me or, um, you know, alcohol explained or whatever books like that, just give a lot of information that people haven't always had. And so I'm really appreciative that you put it together in a book full of narratives easy to listen to, very relatable. Um, and it made a big immediate difference for me and Alex and a lot of other people. So I um, just want to say thanks for that. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Well, let me ask you the question, Bo, that I ask at the end, which is if you're going to go sort of back in time to a, a point in time where you were really worried that you were, your drinking was out of control and concerned about your health and your heart and all the other stuff and you're going to tell him about what life is like now what would you say first I'm just grateful that eventually I did get it you know and so I don't know what I could have said to myself at the time when I wasn't ready to listen um, but if I did have the opportunity and I was ready to listen I think that I would say um, something to the effect of you don't need alcohol to have fun. You don't need alcohol to have friends and life is so much better without it. Mm, so Something like that. Probably, you know, a little long, longer winded than that, but that'd probably be it. No, that's perfect. 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 Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really great. And thank you for sharing your story. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer, then this course is for you. It includes lifetime access to six video modules, a bonus recorded Q&A session where I answer questions from parents live just like you, an interactive workbook, and our private and exclusive How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation. Visit talktoyourkidsaboutalcohol.com to learn more and enroll today. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.